Welcome to BIV Today. We're the daily business podcast from the Business and Vancouver newspaper and BIV.com, our website. I'm Kirk LaPointe. I'm Haley Wooden. Today on the show, we'll get a firsthand look at how Vancouver affordability challenges compare to those in Hong Kong. And there's a wide range of innovative, disruptive technologies making payments and transactions a lot easier for businesses now. On September 13th, join us for our BIV FinTech panel. We're going to look at how small and medium-sized businesses can make informed decisions in this new landscape. For more information on this and for tickets, of course, join us at BIV.com events. Vancouver and Hong Kong share deep historic, cultural, and business connections. They share many similarities, including some of the affordability challenges they face. And governments on occasion have approached those issues the same way. For example, both areas have a foreign buyer's tax in place. But while Vancouver still manages to score high marks overall for livability, the same cannot be said for Hong Kong. Patrick Blennerhassett has been a longtime contributor to BIV and our podcast. He's now in Hong Kong as a writer for the South China Morning Post, and he himself is struggling to find a flat to rent. So he joins us with a first-hand look at some of these similarities and differences between real estate issues in Vancouver and Hong Kong. Patrick, good to have you back on the show. Thanks for having me, guys, all the way from the other side of the planet. <laughs> are you, uh, are, you're inside, though, right, Patrick? You're not living out in the park or anything. No, not yet. I mean, that that might happen in a couple of weeks if, if I run out of money. But yeah, it's funny the the place I'm in right now is in Happy Valley. And uh, it's luxurious living. It's about 300 square feet. And uh, it's it's probably the biggest place that I've been in. So I think that's maybe a good way to kind of set the set the stage of, of what it's like here in, in terms of livability and square footage. So just this morning, I was actually looking at a uh, a video uh, by Vox.com about what they call cage houses in Hong Kong, yeah. which, are, which are really, really, really tiny and share, you know, you share your kitchen and your, and, and all of your other living space with four or five other families. Wow. Is that what's in your future, Patrick? Okay. <laughs> I sure hope not. I mean, I think, um, the best way, the way that I approach it is that I knew what I was getting into. And I think a lot of the people, especially the expat community, when they move here, they they know what they're getting into. And I don't think anybody comes here with a lot of sort of delusions of grandeur. Now, I think the difference is that the local community and the people who have lived here their entire lives um, are getting squeezed sort of on a regular basis that almost probably feels like a month-to-month basis. So... I mean, for someone like me coming here and, and living in a small studio, I mean, it's not a huge stretch from, you know, when I was living in the West End and downtown Vancouver and maybe living in Yaletown. But if I was somebody who was born and raised in Hong Kong and I started out, you know, living in a 400 square foot apartment and now I'm in a 150 foot square apartment, I mean, that's, that's got to be much more of a pinch. And then, you know, you think of everything else in terms of livability, livability is going down, obviously wages are going up, but cost of living is going up. So if I was to stay here, you know, or have been born and raised here, I think I would probably have a much more negative perspective of Hong Kong's living situation. And I think the the cage boxes, I mean, I've walked by the areas that have, that house them. And I mean, it just, 
it just seems like they're just stacking people on top of dominoes now because they just they have nowhere else to put them and they have nowhere else to build so give us a little bit of a sense though of um of the relative economics and all of this because um when people say well housing is really expensive uh are wages high i mean is it is it that there's just a, a real gap the way that you have i think in some cases in this city where people are are earning i don't know uh forty thousand dollars but their uh their rents are you know fifteen eighteen hundred dollars and and it's just really buckling them economically is it the same type of disturbing issue involved in, in that uh, in hong kong yeah i think yes and no it, it really depends on you know what your wage is here i think the 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 spectrum of wages in hong kong is is much larger i mean uh-huh. having been here now for almost two months i've met a lot of the people within the expat community and a lot of them are working in hong kong's finance sector and so these people are making you know well over 150 uh, 150k a year Canadian, and you know there's a lot of these people. There's a lot of really sort of wealthy finance workers, a lot of uh, lawyers, a lot of you know high up in management, high up in companies that have offices in Hong Kong. And I just don't think, obviously, you know, with Vancouver's population, Vancouver just doesn't have that sort of population base. Whereas in Hong Kong, they do. So there's a lot of people who can actually afford to live in Hong Kong and they can't afford to sort of have a nice place and sort of work hard and play hard. But when you get down to sort of more of, I want to say, like the working class expats like myself, um, yeah, it's it's definitely the type of thing. Obviously, you know, I'm going to be making a pretty good wage. It'll probably be the highest wage I've I've made in my career. Um, and I'm also probably going to be paying about half the tax that I was in, in Canada or in other places. But then I'm pretty much going to be forking over about 40%, maybe close to half of my income that's going to go straight to rent. So um, I haven't been here long enough to see whether or not this is going to, you know, leave me really tight. I'm obviously going to try to find a relatively cheap place. And, and by cheap, I would mean, say, a studio probably for about 2000 a month Canadian uh that would be really cheap that probably be 150 to 200 square feet so um yeah i mean time will tell but from what i can see is nobody nobody within the expat community seems incredibly unhappy to be here i think it's you know the the work hard play hard mentality uh seems prevalent i think it's the locals the local community is really at their wits end because these are the people that are here that are born and raised here and, and they've literally they've had enough they've had way too much of this and, and they want something desperately to change so mm-hmm. i'm curious about companies that maybe want to set up in hong kong canadian companies for example obviously a lot of draws to setting up there it's a major financial center it's relatively easy to do business there but as you're pointing out the costs of living and staying there physically are very high. Does the government have any incentives or subsidies in place, or is it just sort of this is the way it is if you want to operate in Hong Kong? Yeah, I think it's you know I think this is just the way it is. It's funny when um, I got offered the job at the SCMP, there was no expat package. There was no incentive for me to come here because the government is really trying to promote. Uh, local workers to fill local jobs. I think it's the problem that every country or every sort of industrialized country is having right now is that, 
they have an aging workforce that are sort of creeping or I guess falling into retirement. And that sort of millennial workforce is unable to fill that gap. Um, but there is definitely a sentiment within the government. Um, I don't know what it's like, what it has been before I got here, but the sentiment that I get from the local government, from the Hong Kong government, is that the emphasis is on training locals, hiring locals, and getting locals to fill positions that are being vacated by uh, baby boomers who are going into retirement. So me coming here, I mean, a lot of people are sort of saying I'm going in the opposite direction of the wave. You know, there's a lot of Hong Kong natives who are leaving Hong Kong. Uh, there's a story in SCMP.com today talking about locals moving to Iceland and New Zealand and going to other places. So um, I kind of feel like I'm going against the green by, by moving to Hong Kong at this point, but um, it is what it is. So Yeah. Tell me a bit about the pace of work I mean, how different is it in hong kong than it was here in vancouver for you i think um i think the best way to sort of summarize that is that uh you know the acceptable norm is that you work more than you're paid for and i i want to say that that's not something that's incredibly prevalent in canada but you know, I, I know a lot of my jobs, I've done a lot of overtime and, and uh, work more than, say, 40 hours a week. But, I mean, I've, I've met a few lawyers here, some of them local, some of them expats. And, I mean, these people get up at 7 o'clock in the morning. They're in the office by 8, you know, 8.30 at the latest. And then they're literally there till 7, 8 o'clock at night. Um, sometimes, you know, you're talking to them later at night, 10, 30, 11 o'clock. They're still at the office or they're working. And then, you know, there's weekend work, there's travel. It's, it's, it's really, <laughs> it's, it's basically just work, play and sleep. And I think that's what you have to buy into. And I think that's something that I'm sort of wrapping my head around now is that I'm going to have to really cut out a lot of other things that I kind of took for granted in Vancouver, you know, like long weekends and, uh, you know, escaping work early to go grab a beer at, at a craft brewery or going on the seawall. Here, you just, you put your hours in and, and you maybe hit the gym and grab a bite to eat and then you get up and you do it again. Um, but I, I don't think that a lot of people are incredibly, uh, you know, that's the whole thing with the expat community is that people come here knowing exactly what they're getting into. So nobody's surprised when they realize that they have to work hard and pay lots for rent. So mm -hmm. it's, and if they are surprised, they, they probably should have done their research. So. Mm -hmm. As you well know, Patrick, we have no shortage of stories here in Vancouver of small businesses that can say no longer afford to operate in Vancouver's downtown core. They have to move away because the economics of it just don't work out. What's it like or what sense do you get of what it's like for smaller businesses owned by locals in Hong Kong? Are there lots of closures? Are they still alive and well? What, do you, what sense do you get from walking around? Yeah, I I think that obviously the first thing that you notice in Hong Kong when you walk around the islands, when you go from, say, Causeway Bay um, to sort of Saingpong and Shen Wan and Central, which is kind of like sort of the main downtown core, is that like at every MTR stop, which is sort of Hong Kong's equivalent to the SkyTrain, there is just a mall's worth of high-end shops. I mean, we're talking Louis Vuitton, you know, Calvin Klein, just 
top end shops that literally nobody but the one percent can afford to shop in and there's this blast radius that's kind of going out from these sort of six or seven uh, metropolis centers and it's even gone over to Kowloon which is sort of north of just sort of north over the uh, the bay or sort of the harbor and it's gotten to the point where like pretty much the entire downtown core of Hong Kong kind of looks like Pacific Center in downtown Vancouver. Obviously, there's a lot of sort of local restaurants, Chinese restaurants where people eat, and that seems to be doing quite well. But when it comes to like mom and pop shops in terms of, you know, clothing and and stuff like that, I mean, there's really no middle ground. It's either uh, local shops run by locals that are offering things that are dirt cheap that you need to buy every day. And then right across the street is a Louis Vuitton handbag store. And it just doesn't seem like there's a lot of in between. And I don't, I don't know if that's a new thing or if that's something that's being created here, but um, it definitely seems like the, the small business community is kind of either getting pushed out or just kind of washed away from the, the downtown core. Do you experience the impact um, already of the Chinese government or do you feel that Hong Kong has so much of its own identity preserved at the moment and that it it really isn't um, what you'd call part of China? Yeah, that's that's an interesting question. And I think, you know, I've had a, a chance to talk to a few locals. Um, a lot of them who, you know, they speak really good English or, or you know, they're raised and, and uh, you know, speak, they've spoken English since they've been really young. Um, you know, the, I think that obviously Occupy Central was a huge flashpoint and I can't totally get a grasp on the sentiment post, I guess, sort of failed umbrella revolution. But the sense that I get is that Hong Kong is very, very slowly being eroded and being changed into just another Chinese city. And I haven't probably spoken to enough locals to get a really fulsome perspective on this, but from what I have heard from the few that I've spoken to and a lot of the expats that I've spoken to is that, you know, China is just this massive monster that no matter what Hong Kong does now, China is going to swallow it whole one day or another. And I think there's a lot of people who are really upset with that, but there's also a lot of people who are totally fine with it. And, you know, they're business oriented people, they're career oriented people, and they know that one thing that China is really good at is making people money. So a lot of them are just kind of focusing on that in terms of losing that Hong Kong identity. Yeah, I mean, the locals that I have spoken to said that they feel as if, you know, this is a country that they may not live to see it's it's complete sort of or they may live to see it's sort of complete lifespan by the time that you know they're in their 60s or 70s hong kong might just be another chinese city like shanghai or beijing or shenzhen so hmm. patrick great hearing your voice again on the show thanks so much for joining us and we wish you the best of luck in hong kong Thanks so much for having me, guys. That's Patrick Blennerhassett, a writer with the South China Morning Post. And that's it for our show. Thanks for listening to BIV today. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and of course at BIV.com, where you can find more business news. We'll see you tomorrow.